what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton. Thank you for listening uh, to this new golf podcast on The Mesh. And be sure to check out all the other shows on themesh.tv. They're all produced right here in the western region of North Carolina. The Forecast and all other Mesh shows are available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and all other favorite podcast apps. We have an amazing guest today, a really good friend of mine, a gentleman I have known and been mentored by and coached by for the better part of eight or nine years now, I would guess. Uh, this fella is the, the owner, inventor, and uh, guru of all things in the green reading and putting world. Uh, he is the owner and inventor of Aimpoint Golf. His name is Mark Sweeney, and Mark has taken some time out to spend with us this morning, and let's talk putting. So I am so happy to welcome Mark to the show. Mark, thanks for taking time to join us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's, I know you travel the world, and you've done some amazing things for our, our game of golf. And when I first came across your information, uh, it came to me through a friend and, and another good uh, golf instructor friend of ours, uh, Jason Sutton, down in Charlotte. And, and Jason was hosting an Aimpoint green reading clinic at his golf course down at Carmel Country Club in Charlotte. And uh, I had seen the book that you used to teach out of, and this book had all these numbers in it and these circular diagrams. And I'm looking at this. Bobby Clampett actually showed it to me and said, Alan, have you seen this? And I said, Bobby, that looks like hieroglyphics, man. What the heck is that? <laughs> And he started to explain it to me a little bit, and I said, that is fascinating. As a golf instructor who's, for the last 20-plus years, tried to help golfers, I'm always open-minded and open ears to someone that has information. And when he showed me this, it just piqued my curiosity. I said, I have to learn about that. That is amazing. That is incredible. So what you've been able to do um, for the industry is uh, is commendable. And at this point in my career, I don't know how I would – have made it this far without this information to teach players. Um, let's talk about where this thing started for you and, and tell us how you got to where you are. Where did this thing begin? Well, it started um, as me just watching golf on TV and, and not understanding why the best players in the world were not particularly um, uh, consistently good green readers. You know, Sometimes they were great and sometimes they were just blatantly missed putts. That, that always shocked me. And I had a background in software development. So I actually, you know, as a hobby, just went out and wrote some software and kind of figured out how to piece together the puzzle of how do you predict what a ball is going to do on a green. Um, and that was in 2003. Um, came together pretty fast and then ended up using that on a Golf Channel on TV for about six years, uh, which, which made us perfect the math on it. Because on Golf Channel, I had to predict uh, any putt on any green under any conditions for any player of any length to any hole position that I had to be accurate to within two inches. And that included wind, grain, green speed, everything. Um, right. And so there was a very high demand on accuracy. And so spent a lot of time getting that right. And then once it was right, um, 
thought to myself, there's a lot of things that people that I see as, you know, simulating these putts and, and geometry of green reading that, that people just don't know. And so I started to get into teaching and, you know, what took a long time was going from the super complicated computer program to, you know, what we see now is express reading and maintaining pretty close to the same level of accuracy that took, you know, 10 years to get to that level. Um, but it was, you know, what you originally saw with the chart was kind of in the middle. It was, it was still fairly complicated and you were what we call an early adopter in that, which was great. There's a number of great instructors who got in early because they realized there's value of the information. Um, but we still took, it took a little while to figure out how to simplify it down to where anybody could use it. Exactly. And your television broadcast product that was on the golf channel for so many years actually won an Emmy for technical achievement in 2008. And that's just an amazing accomplishment. And and it, if you go back now, I think we can still see on YouTube some of those older broadcasts where your putt predicting program was shown on the screen and, and how accurate it was was just phenomenally fascinating for me and, and certainly for the viewer. Uh, we miss that. We, we don't see that today, do we, when we see yeah, the broadcast? No, I, I miss it too. The very last putt we ever did um, was Justin Rose at the Tour Championship, and it was about a 50-footer with about 30 feet of break. and. And it went right down the line the entire way into the hole. And the line was three inches wide, so I had a three-inch margin of error. Wow. Um, and that was one of the best putts we ever did. It was actually the very last one we ever did on, on air. Wow. Fantastic. I mean, your your experience with over 100 PGA and LPGA Tour players, and, and we're talking about nine major winners. We're talking about you know, three number one players in the world. There's a reason why players are seeking out your information and utilizing it to, to play golf for a living. Uh, the information is so accurate. And that's one of the reasons that I got involved is it, it just blew me away when uh, I, I realized there was information available to be a better green reader. I mean, golfers forever thought about the myths of green reading. We hear this in our clinics all the time. I think you know this and, you know, that the grain grows toward the water, uh, you know, the grain grows toward the setting sun, the ball breaks towards um, the Las Vegas Strip. If you're at TPC Summerlin, it, it breaks toward Ray's Creek. If you're at Augusta, you know, Indio and Palm Springs. I mean, all these myths that you hear, and the real physics of it is simply not considered by by a, a lot of golfers. And they need to understand the physical factors, don't they, Mark, if they're going to be better green readers? Yeah, I mean, the, the proof is, well, first of all, if, if you could bend the laws of physics on golf courses, um, NASA would be out on golf courses trying to figure out why that's going on. And so it doesn't happen. Um, and the proof was we did you know, six years of live TV, and the only thing we ever knew about a putt was what w- was between the ball and the hole. We had no concept of where downtown was, northeast, west, south, rivers, oceans, mountains. We didn't know. We didn't care because we didn't need to add that in as a variable to get the putt right. So all we knew was right. from point A to point B, there's a certain amount of slope and the green was a certain speed. And if there was wind, throw some wind in and that was it. And, and we never had a problem ignoring all those other factors. And, and that's very, it, it can cause some pretty heated discussions when I tell people, you know, no, the, the mountain doesn't actually push the ball. Or the, the <laughs> doesn't actually pull the ball. There is no force acting on it. Um, and for me, it's just, if you really can't read greens, that's something you default to as well. I don't know. So it must go towards the water, which, which obviously doesn't have, have to happen at all. Right. And, and what was fascinating for me as a, as a young instructor, you know, I certainly watched players hold their putter up and try to plumb Bob a putt. And in my mind, I knew there was no real dependable accuracy with their method, but I didn't know enough about the physics involved to explain it away. And so when people held their putter up, you know, I was 
fascinated that they believed that that was the best way to choose a target for a putt. Um, but as I learned more, and you shared with me so many great concepts about what's actually physically causing the ball to do what it does, uh, it's very simple for me to explain why that may work and why that would probably not be very dependable on a regular basis, especially if green speeds right. were changing. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, if you don't have anything and that's all you have, that's that's all you have, you know. But right. I'm to a stage now where, you know, occasionally I'll get somebody come in and take a putting lesson who doesn't do aim point and – my response is really well. If you're not a naturally good in green rear, I can't help you any other way. You know, it, you know, I can teach you very, very accurately how to read a green, but if you're just guessing on your own and you're not accurate, I still to this day I've been teaching green reading for 15 years. I still don't know any other way that's going to give them consistently good reads. Right. Um, you know, some people naturally read greens well, and that's great, but you can't you can't take that and 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 transmit it to somebody who doesn't. You know, if you ask a great green reader, how do you do it? They go, I don't know. Right. You know, I said, can you can you can you teach somebody who doesn't know how to do it? And the answer is always absolutely not. Um, well, have to, so we as coaches have to have a way to to give somebody a skill that they don't naturally have. And that's where aim point kicks in. Exactly. I think where a lot of good green readers might say that, well, the reason I'm a decent green readers and, and, and they probably aren't really aware of this. They've hit so many putts across so many different slopes and so many different green speeds. Their brain becomes capable of remembering a picture and they're matching those pictures from their memory from hitting thousands yeah. of putts. And I yeah. think it might've been you that even told me this. I think when you asked, I believe it was, I don't remember if it was Hank Haney or, or certainly a great instructor. You asked him his thoughts on what does it take to be a good green reader? And I think it was, um, you have to be a good green rememberer to be a good green reader. Yeah. I mean, that's great if you're on tour and you play the same courses every year, but if you're um, a younger golfer and if you're playing different courses or if you're new on tour, uh, it doesn't help you at all. You know, exactly. so you've got to be able to, you know, we as, as putting instructors, we've got to be able to walk out to any golf course in the world and get every read right the first time, um, which ideally is as a competitive golfer, you want to pretty much do the same thing. Um, so yeah, remembering is great. Um, but when they redesign greens, I, and I always remember kind of watching Tiger when he would play greens that were newly rebuilt. He was never as good as when they were the older designs because they'd make subtle changes. And what he remembered the ball doing was not always what it, what it did after the rebuild. Um, exactly. And so that was always a setback. Well, when green speeds changed, I think this past year at Augusta, there were seeing some comments about how the greens might have been a little slower than in years past. And the ball doesn't break as much when you have slower surfaces because you're going to have to give the ball a little more velocity to travel that distance across the slower surface. And when you have a time variable, uh, you know, you get different break amounts. And that's kind of what I think happened this past year for a few of them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, it, golf greens are living, breathing organisms, and there's only so much you can do with speeds. And if it's hot, humid, or rainy um, – you know, you've got it as a player, you've got to dynamically adjust to the conditions. You know, if it's hot and humid versus cold and windy, you get very, very different reactions um, during the day or over the grass. Um, and you've got to be able to adjust to that. You can't just say, well, last year this putt did this. Right. You've got to have some ability to say under different conditions, what will the change be? You know, that's where aim point kicks in nicely is it doesn't really matter what the speeds are. It's very easy to adjust and get an accurate um, break, whether it's faster or slower. 
Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about how the Aimpoint process has evolved. I know when when I first got involved, as I mentioned, there was a chart. I still use yeah. the chart. I have it in my in my yardage book in my back pocket every day when I'm out there teaching because I I actually love the the information that it uh, that it provides. But what was fascinating about it, as you mentioned, you know, we would give an Aimpoint clinic back in those days, and we might have eight people in a clinic and. Um, maybe two out of those eight people would really feel like that information was going to be, um, you know, processed and, and transitioned into their daily play. Um, they would be fascinated that the accuracy that the information was providing, but most players would find it difficult to implement the new skills that were going to be necessary to do the read with the chart. And so we were all looking for ways to simplify this process. And, and let's talk a little bit about how that transition occurred. Yeah, it, it was actually fascinating because we had, you know, the process was super accurate, um, but it relied on at least you getting at least three variables correct. And so it was work. You know, it took, I always told people it would take about six months to get really good at doing the, the chart read. And most people are not going to give it six months, to be fair. Right. And I probably wouldn't either if I, if I just walked into a clinic. Um, so it worked, but it, but it, but it was difficult. And I've been thinking for a couple of years, I've been kind of beating my brains over how do we make this easier? And I just didn't come up with anything. I couldn't come up with anything. I hit a wall. And then, you know, they say invention is the mother of necessity. And I had to um, teach a clinic to very young kids with Rob Noel. They're like seven and eight year olds. And he's, and I was landing, I was, he was texting me on the plane and the clinic was in like two and a half hours. And he said, you can't teach them the chart. They haven't had angles in school. They won't get it. Think of something else. And I literally <laughs> had two hours to think of something else. So we came up with this, and you probably remember this. It was, oh, it was yeah. a, I was there. Call it the thumbs up read, where we use our thumb just on the high side of the hole, just yep. to get kids aiming on the high side of the hole. And then it turns out that if you use one finger per percent, it actually matches the physics of a golf ball breaking on a golf green, which was mind blowing to me and probably everybody else at the time. I, I'm sure when you first saw it, you thought it was insane. Um, most people first saw it and they were like, yeah, that's cute, but you know, you gotta be kidding me. Right. And I mean, maybe it's fine for brand new golfers or, or kids, but what we learned very quickly was that it was so accurate that tour players were saying, Oh, I like this better. Um, and that was a big learning experience for me with teaching was something that I thought had to be a little bit less accurate we got better performance out of it because it was more natural. It was visual right. we're facing pole. You weren't doing numbers in your head. And we actually got better performance from players out of a, a process that I thought was 5% less accurate, but they performed way better, you know, and that's when right. I realized, okay, this is the way to go because anybody can do it at all, regardless of experience. It's accurate. It's easy. It's fast. Um, and then it was just, it was just off to the races at that point. That was five years ago now, more than right. five years ago. They're not, yeah, and I remember when we we came up with this concept. Uh, I was at the uh, the conference actually the time that the thumbs up read was introduced, <laughs> and and a guy uh, you know was uh, Rick Murphy and I were standing on one section of that putting green, and we were holding our thumbs up, and everybody on that putting green had thumbs up in the air that morning. And yeah, I don't know <laughs> if you remember this, but I looked at Rick and I said, "Man, we got we got a six percent side." Uh, tilt here on this putt, Rick. I said, man, my thumbs are fat, but two's not going to give me near enough break for this putt. Two is not going to do it. And that's and, right. And he looked at me and he said, well, what, what, do, what are we going to do? And I, I actually said, man, we're we're on a six. And I said, I think if we put up six fingers, we could probably get this thing playing high enough. And he said, we'll try one. So 
that's where it started for me. I put those fingers yeah. up and and I said, "Wow, that was incredibly close." And uh, from there, you know, it was like, "Well, I don't want to blow this whole thing out of the water." The thumbs up is a cute concept, and it really it's seems cute. Cute, but I don't think it's going to calibrate. And so he convinced me to come over to you and share with you what we had done. And it was just it yeah. was fascinating from that point. That, that, was, that was the first moment that we did one finger per percent. I distinctly yeah. remember it because yeah. two weeks later, I went to um, Europe for the conference. And me and Rob Cheney went out by ourselves for two hours. And I said, just do me a favor. Just hold up one finger per percent. And I'm going to compare it to the chart. Yeah, and everything was within an inch or two. It was mind blowing, and he was making every putt he looked at. We didn't even know what we were doing. We didn't know how to change double breaks or long putts. And he was still making literally everything he looked at, and that's when I, I was my head was swimming. I was just like, yeah. I don't get this. How can this possibly work? I get it why it works now, but at the time, I had apps. It was like magic. Yeah, you know, it just it made no sense at all. And, and with a kid who's got a smaller finger and a shorter arm to an adult who has a longer arm and maybe a bigger finger, those pictures actually humanly calibrate pretty nicely too, don't they? Yeah, the geometry of your of your body is very similar across different ages. Like I've done the Express with eight year old kids who see the exact same break that I see. Right. Um, there's little changes with hand size and arm length, but not much at all. I mean, I've never right. met anybody who couldn't fit everything from stimp eight to stimp 12 and their natural um, arm positions. You know, that's, that's the, the really cool thing is, and it also happened to work out with percentage of slope. So one finger per percent works perfectly, which is we've done always done everything in percent. Um, yeah. It doesn't work in degrees, but it does work in percent perfectly. So I was just a total well, stroke a lot. Well, and that speaks to the, to the reason that we as Aimpoint certified instructors want the golfers out there to come seek us out because our information is so much better researched, and, and to get accuracy out of this process, you really need to get the information from a certified instructor. Um, it's, it's like a joke. If you tell it correctly, it's going to be funny. If you tell it wrong, <laughs> you're going to miss the punchline, and it's not going to be good. So we want you to go to a, a certified instructor and get this information because it has been thoroughly researched, and um, it'll make a huge yeah, difference. Yeah. And I can't tell you how often, I mean, I even watch PJ tour sometimes and I watch guys, you know, doing aim point, trying to do aim point and they're doing it completely wrong. Right. Um, major mistakes that are just going to, you know, reduce the accuracy of it. And, and they obviously didn't learn from an instruct, instructor. They learned from a friend or somebody. Um, or I, you know, I had a junior, uh, I was teaching yesterday who played with a, a guy who was same thing, trying to do aim point, but he was feeling the slope on top of the hole. You know, and things that might intuitively think you might think are correct if you don't understand aim point, right? But but, but aren't you know? Right. And so you really want to learn it right the first time, get the process correct, and then then it works great. But don't try to make stuff up. I see all kinds of people saying, "Well, maybe it works better if I do it this way or that way." Right. And what you have to realize is we've you know the express read we've tested for almost six years now, five and a half years or more. And we know it works and we know it doesn't work, even though it might seem counterintuitive to somebody who is new to it. Right. Well, even the golf broadcast um, folks did not understand the process and they were just throwing stuff out there to the listener and the viewer. And uh, we heard a lot of comments about, well, they're, they're looking at the percentage on the slope or they're looking at the degrees on the slope and they didn't know the difference between percentage and degrees. And it, it is not degrees. It's percent when you're reading it through the aim point process. And if, like you said, if you get it wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer and you'll think aim points not correct, but it is, it is very, very accurate. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, degrees and percent are, are different units of measure. It's like, you know, it's like metric versus imperial yeah. or Celsius versus Fahrenheit. They're completely different. You cannot interchange them um, and have it even remotely work correctly. So it's it, it, it is amazingly accurate. And, I, and, you know, I would never release anything out to the public that I haven't tested for at least six months. And and I think that's people who know me probably know that's true. But if you don't know me, there's nothing I would just throw out there. Right. Um, Everything that you've seen, even as a certified instructor, and you see it first, I've spent six months, you know, doing skunk works on trying to wring out the bugs and trying to break it before I would give it to anybody else to use. Well, absolutely. Especially when you're dealing with as many professional golfers as you are, you know, and you see so many of these top players in the world now using the process and, and using their fingers and feet to, to read the greens. Um, you know, we, we studied this and we understand that if we can help our players for instance, a top 25 tour player that you might be working with, if you can help them make one more putt a tournament um, for an entire season, that, that's $1.7 million more million they're going to make. So oh, it's, know, huge. <laughs> it's huge money for them. And it's, you know, for, for juniors, you know, I, I teach a lot of competitive juniors and they haven't had the experience to figure out green reading. You know, they haven't had 20 years of watching putts roll. Right. And, um, and you can get them reading green spectacularly well in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, even as a, as a young teen or a preteen. Um, and then when that happens, now they can actually be freed up to, to get better at speed, to get better at hitting their line and not be so stressed about, you know, thinking that every time they miss a putt, people always think it's a mechanics problem. It's usually not a mechanics problem. It's usually a read right. first, right. speed second, and mechanics third. And they usually do in the exact opposite order, which is, which is holding them back pretty yeah. badly. Absolutely. And, and when they miss a putt, their, their first thought is, it must have been my stroke. And so they're going to want to change a lot of things in their stroke that might not need to be changed. Uh, yeah. but that, that's the process that we're trying to help golfers with. And what my uh, experience has shown is that golfers in general have no real clue about how much a ball breaks. When I ask a player about a 10-foot putt across a 2% slope on a 10-stemp, I'll, I'll demonstrate that putt. And I'll set it up and I'll say, well, how much do you think this ball actually breaks? Constant answer. Well, about two inches. So I'll play about two inches yeah. out. I said, well, you're going to have to hit that thing pretty hard if that's actually the line you want <laughs> to hit your ball on. And, I, and, and you say, well, it's about nine inches. How about nine inches? And when you put a marker out there at nine inches, they look at you like, no way. No way this thing's going to break that much. I said, well, when you coordinate the correct speed <laughs> with this line, I think you'll see why uh, it's going to break nine inches. And you just have to set those kind of putts up and constantly show golfers that putts break more than you think because you're just not good at getting the speed correct. And that's why they three putt. So if we help a golfer, um, a recreational golfer, eliminate three putts, gosh, that's huge. I mean, that's going to be huge. Yeah, it's interesting because I do a lot of um, performance analysis also. I have actually, I was doing performance analysis before I did Aimpoint, believe it or not. And one of the top two things to um, reduce bogeys for, for um, higher handicaps is three-putting. Exactly. Greens is number one, and three-putting is actually the number two thing, Yeah. Um, which is primarily, you know, if, you have, if your read is off and your speed is off, so you have a double miss, and you're, you're going to three-putt way too often. Yeah, and I constantly have to uh, twist a player's arm to give them a putting lesson, and they're out on the range saying, "Man, I need to hit. Man, I need to get a new driver. I need to hit this driver farther. Uh, I just don't hit it far enough." And and of course that may be true, but then when they have six three putts around, you know, well, hey, there's some low hanging fruit over here. We need to go pick this low hanging fruit, pal. You know, hey, I, I'm. Uh, 
I'm 260 pounds. I can't dunk a basketball, and I don't think I'm ever going to. So I need to learn how to do yeah. something else. I gave up trying to hit it longer about three years ago. I just move up a tee now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I the vanity of having to play from the back where the men play. I'm just like, I just, I don't want to hit three irons into the greens anymore. No way. <laughs> Yeah, and as we look at golfers, you know, how they visualize putts, and, and I think you can speak more to this, but we're we're seeing that not every golfer is is viewing the putt the same way. Their their picture of what they like to see, and we're we're discovering new ways to help golfers see the putt best for them. Uh some of the new concepts that the aim point process has discovered um as we look at entry um entry to the hole you know, as a, an angular relationship. Let's talk a little bit about the entry points that we've, we've worked on. Yeah, we, um, you know, traditionally as an aim point um, instructor, you know, we, we've always said, you know, here's, here's your aim, here's where you start the ball, ball will break in from there. It's been very natural for us to, to teach and think that way. Um, but there's a lot of players who want to visualize curve and apexes, and they want to see the shape of the putt, not just roll it to it. And so starting about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, a year and a half ago, I started to address that by figuring out, okay, how do I, I know where to aim, but let me, sh- let me figure out how to accurately show the shape of the putt. So if there's a player who wants to see the shape or the curvature, we can actually very, very accurately um, show them that right now. It takes about one second and it's uh, helped quite a few golfers. And it's not the apex we're showing because it's a, it's a point that aim point that we calculated personally because it's easy to find. And you actually named it, Alan. Um, yep. drop point um, very similar to the apex but it's where the ball starts down towards the hole and uh, I've been teaching it now for about a year and a half and I have some golfers who love it and just their, their performance jumps through the roof I have some that don't care at all you know and sure. so as an instructor we need to be able to help anybody who walks in the door regardless of what they want to visualize um, and we're there now we can show you anything you want to see about the putt and and just with a little pretty simple test we can figure out how you, how that player performs the best um, and that's the fascinating thing is that, that we can take the information and we can apply it to the player in the best possible way for them to feel comfortable with it and see it the way they like to see it and, and get more accuracy with their reads um, through all those different methods. Um, you know, it's fascinating to me that there is a science, a measurable science. Um, and, and I would say that the majority of people that are reading greens in the old-fashioned way, they're walking around the putt. They're looking at it from four different directions. They're spending so much more time. And Aimpoint forever has had, a, I guess, you know, an, an improper uh, rap, if you will, as if it's going to slow the player down. And I see quite the opposite. I see once the player gets the Aimpoint process, um, they're faster at getting the correct target than a golfer who's walking around holding their putter up and, and seeing the putt from all four sides. And it's just not true that aim point is a slower process. If anything, yeah. it's a much faster process. Yeah. I mean, back back when we were doing the chart read and you were learning how to do the chart, it, I could see how it could slow you down a little bit, but we stopped, I stopped teaching the chart six years ago. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing a proper express read inside 10 feet, it should take four or five seconds. And I watch players now, walking around all sides of the hole and I can't watch anymore. Like I'm thinking to myself, if, if things were reversed, so if the natural way to read a putt was to step over and feel it and step back. And then I came out and said, you know what? I want you to change it. I want you to look from behind the ball, look from the other side of the hole, look from underneath the ball, then go back and plumb bob and then hit it. People would absolutely <laughs> come after me with pitchforks for slowing the game of golf down. Right. But the funny thing is that's the standard 
that even that you see on TV, I can't watch it on TV. Literally, I have to turn it off because it makes yeah. me crazy. Right. Uh, and that doesn't get a bad rap at all. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's just people of old habits. They are so hard to break. I mean, I, I, I recognize that. My dad is 83 years old. Okay, plays golf a couple times a week and shoots his age quite frequently. So he's a good player. Uh, I'm not going to get my dad to do aim point. I'm, I'm sorry. He just says, man, that stuff is just, I'm dad. It's so simple. <laughs> and, and it's like he doesn't own a smartphone. He doesn't need one. He hasn't had one for 83 years. So why would I buy one now? Stress than we have. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But it, getting people to change. I know I was at uh, a facility here in town that had a Champions Tour event. And so all those older players and trying to convince them that we had some information that would help them was like, Oh man, it was like uh, going up Mount Everest with uh, a pair of tennis yeah. shoes on, you know. Incredibly, yeah, it's, um, it's funny because I've never even tried to to go out to Champions Tour and help, but there are quite a few guys out there who do aim point very well. Absolutely, um, McCarron does. You know, McCarron was the, yeah. actually the yeah, he's the grandfather of of starting he, it. He, yeah, he's the he's the he is the first tour player ever pick up the chart and use aim point he's done it very 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 successfully actually yeah talk about how it helped his putting too i mean goodness gracious didn't he climb up from like 190th in putting once he started doing aim point he got into the top 10 of maybe not number one in putting there on the champions tour for a while yeah i mean he was he was 180 or worse every year prior to aim point then he went to top 10 every year after that now he's won how many times he won on champions tour a zillion exactly Uh, but there, there's more guys out there doing it than you think, even on the even on the Champions Tour. Um, but I never really bothered, you know, pushing it out there, probably for the same experience you had, you know. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough sell when you got these guys. Ah, what? I've been doing this for 45 years, kid. You got nothing for me, you know. Right, right. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I remember when I first bought TrackMan, it was kind of the same thing. I was on the range there at the Champions Tour event, and I'd just gotten TrackMan. This was about seven or eight years ago, and. One player said, man, I don't need that machine to tell me what, what I'm doing with my golf ball. And right. I saw on Twitter three weeks after that, he had gone out to Las Vegas, this particular player, and he sought out an instructor who's uh, known as Trackman Maestro on Twitter. So <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. definitely using Trackman there. Uh, well, so I, you know, it's funny because I always get this, this you know, the, the naysayers will say, well, you know, um, Jack Nicholas didn't need aim point. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, I mean, didn't. And you know what? Um, uh, if you go back another hundred years, they didn't need Titleist balls and, and, <laughs> and metal woods. And they, but but the reality is, is, is competition keeps evolving, yeah. and and good players are going to look for competitive advantage. And as they get competitive advantage, um, the other the field needs to catch up. You know, and and before Jack, they didn't use yardage books. I, you know, a single person on tour who plays that yard just now there's no way right because you're at a disadvantage if you don't and it's becoming that way with aim point where yeah. you you know you are going to be disadvantaged if you don't know how to use it right so yeah back in the days when we were teaching out of our chart i got a lot of blowback from from students about knowing the exact distance they were from the hole to actually do the read and i would say to them hey you you have a range finder and of course, they would say, "Yeah, I have a rangefinder." And say, "Well, how much did you spend on that rangefinder?" And they'd say, "Well, four hundred dollars, I think." <laughs> I'd say, "Wow, it really meant a lot to you to know the distance of your approach shot from the fairway." But when you get on the green, you really don't want to know the distance of your putt. <laughs> it's just right. fascinating to me. And so it's it's been in a, I guess, a mentality that I'd brought as a coach now to my lessons to the players. I say, "We want to know 
what we can know and guess less. And that's exactly what Aimpoint does. It helps players know more about the physical um, factors uh, that are involved and choosing a good target for this putt. And there certainly isn't an exact point that the putt has to be hit at. There's a coordination of speed with that line that's so important. I refer to it as the compatibility between your line and speed. And there's an aim um, window, if you will. I think we we all know that you can play a putt a little higher with softer yeah. speed. You can play it a little lower with firmer speed. And we try to find players that acceptable window. And that's what Aimpoint does. It shows you where it is. So that's that's really what yeah. it offers to I mean, understand. I mean, th- there's a window, but it's not as big as people think. Uh, you know, it's right. like – there's a window for how long or how short you can hit a certain club. Maybe not how short, but how long you can hit a club. And if you're trying to hit a sand wedge 190, it's not going to happen, right? And if you right. try to play one inch of break on a 10 footer on a 2% slope, it will never, ever, ever go in. And so what we're saying is let's very, very quickly show you where the middle of that window is. And you can tweak it an inch or two up or down, but that's about it. Um, and anything outside that window, you will not make the putt. And so why bother even trying to, to hit, hit putts um, and breaks that are t- completely unmakeable? Well, I've tried to explain to players, too, and, and showing them that, that the aim zone is going to widen as the break amount increases. And the wider that yeah. aim zone is, the more difficult their putt is. Absolutely. I mean, because then you've got to match up your speed and aim much more precisely. If you have a straight putt, you can hit you can hit it straight in um, at a slow speed or a fast speed, but the the more and more slope you get, the more those have to coordinate with each other. Otherwise, the ball doesn't go in because the ball is moving laterally so quickly. Um, and we all know, obviously, big breaking putts harder to make than than a straighter putt, right. um, but it gets dramatically harder to uh, to make. Um, your typical putts, you know, one, two, even three percentage, you don't have a huge window. Right. Um, and as soon as you get bigger than that, it gets, it gets tough. So, so the better the player, the more aware they have to be about positioning their ball appropriately on the slope to give themselves the high percentage putt. And um, I think a lot of times golfers think they putt poorly. And, of course, that may be true, but the reality is they may be in the wrong position on the slope to begin with. They've got a very low percentage putt because of the break amount and the slope they have to deal with to coordinate line and speed becomes much, much dip, more difficult. So that's what we need to make players aware of, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the old adage, pin high on on older greens that are steeper, is is, is death. Right. I mean, if you're high across threes and fours all day, you're not going to make anything. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but, and that's that's going to affect their expectation levels. And I, I think that's interesting as I deal with putting um, – a lot players have just the wrong expectations where it comes to making putts and there is a PGA Tour average statistic that most players are surprised by when I give them this I say hey uh, how many putts do you think a pro averages from 10 feet and I think most people guess around seven or eight I said well yeah that's what you see on television on Sunday when that guy's winning um, yeah, but it's it's closer to four, isn't it? It's four out of ten as a PGA Tour average from yeah. ten feet. But yeah, the best in the world um, miss more than they make from ten feet, um, and I'm constantly, constantly reminding all levels of players that um, is that outside you know seven or eight feet, you're going to miss more than you make. So it's not about getting frustrated about missing. It's it's have you made your fair share? And if you're making one out of seven or eight from twenty feet, you're you're playing like a tour player, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Mark, I tell you, the golfer that is listening today will do themselves a huge favor if they seek out an Aimpoint certified instructor and learn what we can share with them about green reading. In addition to that, speed control. That has been a big movement in our instructional message to share how to how to control speed better, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've started teaching speed the last two or three years now, and, and I and I do it at every level of player, whether you're a brand-new golfer, which I te- would teach speed first to, um, or what, as they get better and better, speed has to be taught hand-in-hand hand, um, with the read. You know, the read is one thing, but it, but you very quickly got to match up your speed with it to be able to really convert putts. Um, and even watching the, uh, the NCAAs I've been watching uh, last night, the championships, the women's championship, mm-hmm. um, and as great as those players are, there's still a couple you can pick out who, who just move the putter all wrong and they had poor speed. Um, and that's just kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what control speed, how to, how to manage your, the, the, the way the putter moves. Right. Yeah, I think players uh, – I generalize this in saying this, but I think golfers have – most often a very slow, short backstroke, and then they yeah. really accelerate through the ball, don't they? Especially on these longer putts or a putt that's got a lot of uphill slope or a slower green. They, they recruit their velocity with that massive acceleration in their stroke, and they're just unaware of why they can't control speed. So it's yeah, good. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's exactly what I was watching a few players do uh, last night, and they were really struggling with the uphill slower putts. And um, the best golfers and the best speed players don't do that. They're not trying to right. jab through the ball to create speed. They create speed earlier, and then they're very smooth with it. They typically have longer strokes. Right. Um, and so I do spend – every every lesson I ever give, we spend some time on speed because that takes the longest to develop, um, and it has to be worked on kind of constantly. Sure. And there's not one method that's absolutely the perfect method, but you see a combination of things that great putters do to control speed – um, and I think a guy asked me one time or shared this information with me. It's a great concept. He said, if I was going to ask you to drive your car into that brick wall and you had to guarantee that you were going to hit the wall at 14 miles an hour, he said, how would you do that? Hmm. And I thought about that for a second. He said, uh, you, you probably wouldn't park the car really close to the wall and hit the accelerator and hope that you were 14 miles an hour when you crashed into the wall. You would get back from the wall enough distance to get up to 14 miles per hour and give yourself plenty of cruising speed and distance to get 14 miles per hour and then hit the cruise control and then you crash into the wall at 14 miles an hour. And I thought, well, that's kind of what golfers do when they putt. They guarantee a particular impact velocity required for that putt by getting that speed well before impact, and they just cruise through the ball at that speed. And yeah, that might be the best analogy I, I've ever heard, actually, because that's exactly right. If you're if you start close to the wall and are gunning it, the, the chance of you hitting 14 miles an hour is pretty slim versus mm-hmm. get up to 14 and then just lay off. And that is what you see the best players do. They, they get their speed earlier in the forward stroke and then they kind of ride it out through impact. Exactly. And we obviously know that as geeky as we are about putting, that the putter is going to slow down yeah. at the moment of impact. But right. It's not accelerating uh, aggressively through impact as we, you know, we used to hear people teach that, you know, wait, we want you to accelerate through the ball. And it's like, ugh. yeah, I think that, I think that concept is really ruined a lot of players, frankly, um, accelerating through the ball, makes them short and jabby. In my opinion, it can make it, make them yippy also. Absolutely. Um, some people I've seen that are very yippy tend to be short 
very fast accelerators. So it sure. always makes me very nervous when I see that. Yeah, it's difficult to transition and move the handle, the shaft, and the club head, um, you know, at the same rate uh, when you're pulling on that handle and changing that velocity so rapidly through your transition. I think that makes a lot of challenge for golfers. And certainly I see yeah. that a lot with recreational players. But that's what they're told to do. They're told to accelerate through the ball. And I guess maybe they had this massive backswing at one time and, and extremely – scared to hit the putt too hard because it hit one 10 feet by and then they have this massive deceleration and so they're just told to do the opposite but that that's not going to work for them very well on a consistent basis you know one thing i've tried to get players to do is when they practice and i stole this from a fellow aim point instructor john graham john used to put a coin on the green and say i want you to stop the ball on this coin and I transitioned that to another concept where you just you put to an old hole i want you to stop the ball on the old hole, the hole that's plugged up that you can see. But when golfers putt to a hole, they might see the ball go in and immediately assume that was a great putt. And it's right. like you're, you're completely robbing yourself of the feedback about how that ball's speed was going to encounter with a hole. Um, and we like to call it capture speed, but we can see the capture speed much better if we get a player to roll a ball to a point on the green. Maybe it's a coin, maybe it's an old hole, but they can see where that ball is going to come to rest in relation to their target and get a better insight to how their uh, control and delivery speeds. Yeah, I mean, if, you're, if your ball's ever hitting the back of the cup, you're hitting it way too hard. Right. Way, way, way too hard. And you'd be surprised if you roll it over a, a fake hole or something, for it to go a foot and a half past the hole, it's not going very fast at the hole itself. Right. It's a lot slower than most people think to go that far past. Yeah, and, and when you put uphill to a hole, the back of the hole is much higher than the front edge of the hole, so you're gaining some benefit putting into that uphill yeah. hole that you probably aren't even aware of. Yeah, no, no question about it. The speed can be much more aggressive and still go in the hole, and then when you're putting downhill, it's the reverse. You know, The back of the hole is lower than the front edge of the hole, especially on a steep slope. So it's a big physical factor there at the hole when you have that that slope around the rim of the cup. Yeah, I, uh, I do, um, particularly birdie length putts. We do a lot of speed control work where minimum to me is about four inches past the back of the hole and maximum is about two, two and a half feet. Mm-hmm. Anything short of that, anything long of that's an equal fail, frankly, because you never want to trade off a three putt for leaving one short. Right. Um, and so especially with junior comp- or competitive golfers, spend a lot of time where only in that window is it acceptable. Anything outside that window is a fail. Yep. Fantastic. Well, if golfers are listening, uh, they're going to benefit greatly by finding an Aimpoint certified instructor to spend a little time with. You can come see me here in Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, you can chase Mark Sweeney down when he's not flying to China or Europe. Uh, he's going to be somewhere around Orlando. I think you're still over at the Waldorf Astoria Golf Club. Is that correct, Mark? Yep, yep. I'm in the Waldorf. I'll be there. Um, I'm there on and off during the summer, but that, that is the home club that I teach out of, yeah. And as far as uh, a golfer wanting to seek out a little time with you, would they want to email you, or how would you like them to try and reach out to you? Uh, yeah, email is the best way. Just go to um, aimpointgolf.com. Uh, you can get my email there and email me. There should be a uh, my schedule should actually be available on there also, although it's it'll be blocked out. I'm, a, I'm gone for the next couple of weeks, um, but that is another way to do it also. Fantastic. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for spending a little time with us here 
on the forecast and talking about putting. Uh, we'd love to have you back soon. We'd love to have you come back in. And maybe if you're in the area, you can come into the studio and do a show with us as well. But uh, we can't thank you enough for spending a little time with us and sharing some of your, your genius. And I uh, look forward to seeing you again down the road, my friend. Great. Thanks. Anytime. All right. Take care, Mark. That was Mark Swinney from Aim Point Golf. And uh, I'm Alan Burton, your host. I hope you learned something about your putting today. And if you did, send us a message. You can reach us at alan at alanburtongolf.com. And you can give me a phone call if you'd like. My number is 704-232-3673. I'd love your feedback, and I'd love to hear what you have to share. What would you like to hear on our show? Anything that you'd like to learn about in the game of golf? A particular guest you'd like me to interview? Or anything at all? Please give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, I'm your host, Alan Burton on the forecast. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.